Yo, 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 it's the yay, yay, yay. I'm Rex Clay. I'm Norman G. All right, and this is the Yay Podcast, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. How you doing, man? How's your week? I want to say that I'm done. I want to say that my spring is done, and it's funny because I have one more project that starts next week and runs for two weeks, Yeah, but it'll be done before the end of May, so technically it is part of my spring. Yeah, you've been living out of your car, right? Ooh, I have week. to give somebody a ride tomorrow. Oh, is that I, right? I've got an audition tomorrow, and somebody got in touch with me about carpooling. Anybody I know who hears this, I love to carpool. Now, there's etiquette, because mm-hmm. especially when you're going to audition, you're trying to get your game face on. Yeah. You've got to get your head <laughs> ready. I don't know but, if you want to give out your email address or anything like that. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. No, no, no. Okay. You, you can just get in touch with us through here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm going to have to get up early and clear out stuff because in my back seat is still a picture of Kim Jong-il, a Mm. photo uh, framed. Hmm. Um, Up until last night, there was a trellis in my back seat because Hannah and the Dread Gazebo had a trellis in it and it was my trellis. So the Kim Jong-il, that's a prop? It's a a prop. It was part of the Hannah. Hannah and the Dread Gazebo was set in Korea. Okay, got it. And it was set after the death of Kim Jong-il. Okay. So... Um, yeah, that's so, and that's, and costumes and wigs and all mm-hmm. kinds. So I have to clear a seat to give a ride to another actor to this audition tomorrow. Hey, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a uh, rehearsal yesterday of, uh, the chain, which I've been plugging that's, uh, coming up next, uh, next set. Uh, it's on May the 22nd. That's and I'm sorry, May the 20th. Mm. Um, that's a week after tomorrow. In any case, so we had rehearsal yesterday, and exactly, the director was clearing stuff out, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the life of a director or a producer or even an actor. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, I've got the big, big re- uh, rehearsal. That's the Q to Q tech Q-Q, thing. Yeah, 10 out of um, 12, depending on how they do it, yeah. Exactly. So I'm bringing costumes that I've got to bring in, and I've got my script, and I've just got a bag full of stuff. So. Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, for me, I and I was telling you before we started that I had gone through... I just filled up today, so I am on my third tank of gas in like the last week. <laughs> wow. I have been everywhere. I have been to Livermore. I have been, you know, I've been from Hillsboro down on the peninsula all the way up to Richmond and then back to San Mateo. And then that was one night where I was supposed to go back to Richmond and I called the guy just to make sure. And he said, oh, no, we rescheduled because you said you would be late. Woo. He said, but you're welcome to come. I'm like, dude, I'm going home. <laughs> now, imagine if done. you had went there and burned up all that gas and was like, what are you For doing For a 10-minute presentation. Yeah. I'm like, do you really need me? And he said, no, we figured out how to you know, work around it. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll acknowledge you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, good enough. So, yeah, in the last week I finished, Hannah and the Dread Gazebo is done. So me and my association with Korea is once again on hiatus. I am done with that. <laughs> Uh, and my kids actually did pretty well. Things actually came together very well. Very nice. So I was happy about that. Um, the parents were really surprised at the play because it's a very contemporary play. It's mm-hmm. about it was about the death of Kim Jong Il, but it was really about this family and the grandmother in South Korea may have committed suicide. They don't know. They don't actually ever get to learn whether or not it happened. But the family and how they deal with it. The old and family it was much secrets. More like, yeah. Um, I love Lucy than mm-hmm. some. One of my students was like, this is such a serious play. I'm like, suicide is a serious thing. But MASH, 
Do you know the name of the song that is the theme da, song? Da, for, da, da, but do you know da, the name of no, it? No, what is it? Suicide is Painless. Interesting. That is the name of the song. Wow, I didn't know that. That is the MASH theme. MASH is a comedy. Yeah. But they have this weird-ass theme. So the play is the same way. It yeah. has this bizarre setup about did the grandmother commit suicide or not. And really the play is about how does the family deal with this issue and how does this break them out of their routines? You know, hmm. the way we all kind of get through life and the way we all sort of take each other for granted. Yeah. So as we go on, we'll talk more and we'll get the Mother Day in. So just to make sure we get that. And I love you, Mom. Love you. That's right. Love you, Mom. I did the flower thing and the chocolates and, and all that stuff. So Mom is very, very happy. But, you know, when you were talking about your kids, mm-hmm. my mind was thinking about the young girl. You were telling me she had the monologue and you wanted oh, that her was to the seize. Other. That was another class and that was last week. Yeah. She... Right. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we were talking before we uh, were live that you felt a little down as a, as a teacher because the, you were trying to tell the girl, seize the stage, you know, seize right. the moment. You are a prominent figure, so be bold. And she didn't quite take it. Well, I feel like she did. Mm-hmm. But we learn, for example, projection. Yeah. That idea of making your voice, filling the space. Yeah, exactly. Um, once you learn that technique, mm-hmm. I don't know that you ever lose it. I, in fact... Um, I did class visits today for a summer program, so mm-hmm. I'll talk more about that later. But uh, walked into this teacher theater teacher's classroom, and he immediately was project- he was doing it, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, "Wow!" I, and she had said I went in with a coworker, mm-hmm. and she had said before we walked in that she didn't know if he acted anymore. Mm-hmm. So as I walked in the door, I was like, "I don't know if he's done a role anytime recently, but he clearly still projects." Yeah, I, and I, I, that yeah. she didn't get. My student isn't at that level yet, but mm-hmm. she has. She embraced the stage. She made it her stage as much as she could. Okay, it's it's a tricky thing to do. It really is a skill that one has to. It, yeah, it really is. And I think experience has a lot to do with that as well. I mean, I remember uh, having some roles. I'm th- talking, thinking about when I was in high school, like, you know, some assignments that I had as an actor. And at 17 years old, how in the world can you be Hamlet? How can you right. be uh, King Lear or something well, like you, that? You understand how somebody comes back to that. So if 17, you had the privilege mm-hmm. of getting to do Hamlet. Hopefully, somewhere in the next couple of decades, you get another shot at it. Yeah. Because you would find stuff in it. I know that when I play older people now, when I play adults, mm-hmm. adult parents, mm-hmm. parents of adult children yeah. now, yeah. there's an ease that I bring to it that as an actor, I might have read that script and thought I would love to, a chance to do that role and that this is a big, heavy role. Mm-hmm. I don't bring the heavy, not consciously anymore. I don't bring that heavy to it. I just live it. Right. You know, I understand what it means to be that older person and yeah, dealing you don't, with you, younger adults. Yeah, you don't have to guess. You don't have to assume or basically... because I, as, a, as a, Right, exactly. Pretend. And it reminds me, because uh, I did a rehearsal um, for The Chain, and um, I'm working with an actress, a beautiful woman. Her name is Rachel Bowman. She actually is not a theater person. You know, she doesn't do this for... You know, um, this isn't her daily routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was asked to do this, and actually, she's doing it. Is one of those we talked at an earlier episode about how people incorporate theater in their lives, or they um, theater means something more than just acting and prestige or whatever. It, it sort of fulfills something within their lives. And she's a counselor. She's a teacher, um, and this is something that um, that 
sort of um, it's it's another element to her life that she's bringing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a mother of I think four kids, and uh, she's been in marriage for a long time. So, in any case, we're doing the scene, and we're in a relationship. Our characters are in a relationship for twenty years, and I need dialysis. I I need a kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're Jehovah's Witnesses. She's more Jehovah's Witnesses. I think I've just jumped into the marriage for just because of her. I'm not really into the mm-hmm. whole religious thing. But of course I'm saying yes, dear, and all that stuff. But as an actor, I have to say, okay, what can I bring out of my life as Reg Clay mm-hmm. that can make the scene work? Uh, I've never been on dialysis. I've never been, I don't think I've ever had a surgery in my life. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't think. I haven't. I haven't had a surgery in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think you remember that one. <laughs> I, yes, I do remember that. I've had my uh, my wisdom teeth pulled out, but that's about it. And they had knocked me out to do that. Mm-hmm. But getting into sense memory, what can I pull? Right. And one of the things, because there are several beats, there are several things within the, the scene that I'm working with. But there, if there's one overall arc that I found as as doing the scene is to um to embrace life to connect with life to connect with her there are all sorts of little uh lines that i say to her that i say to my son over the phone mm-hmm. and also there are two songs that i sing mm-hmm. and i'm constantly talking about life i'm i'm contemplating my life with her my life with my son mm-hmm. and throughout the scene i'm saying i may never see her ever again I may never see my son ever again. I may never, mm-hmm. you know, life is finite. Now, do I know what that feels? Well, I know what it feels like to not have a girlfriend again or to have a girlfriend say, well, see you, see you later. I'm leaving you. Right. Or to have that to last that date. void in your life. Yeah. And to have that void. Or to just know. You, I mean, you've, you've been in a relationship before where you two are together. but never. You two are together, but but things are not quite right. And you realize, you know, this may be it. This may be the last time I see her again. Have you have you ever had that situation? I mean, have you? In a relationship? Mm, no. I mean, I've I rem- I'll never forget the 4-minute girlfriend. <laughs> there was a woman I wanted to date. Yeah. I finally got her to agree to date me. Yeah. I had to pick her up in the financial district in San Francisco. I was supposed to pick her up. Yeah. Traffic was insane and I could not get up in there. I was 4 minutes late. That woman had left. Hmm. And that was the only message I got from her was, I left. <laughs> like at 5 o'clock, I was not there. 5.04, she was gone. And part of me felt really bad. I was late. It was my fault. And part of me thought, wait a minute. Maybe I just dodged the bullet. Wow, that was it, huh? <laughs> that was the end of that relationship. Yeah. I mean, I've been on both ends. I've been on the end where I wanted, the, I wanted things to last and... She didn't. Mm-hmm. And I've been on on the part where I was like, oh, my God, you know, what have I got myself into? And no, my exes, not. my ex, <laughs> I'm in touch with way too many exes. And uh, and they will all tell you, no, we because we end up being friends. Most of the time mm-hmm. I end up being friends afterwards. Yeah. You know, somebody has to move or something has to happen for that yeah. to really cut off. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a disastrous where, you know, like she and I are never talking ever again. Usually I have good cannot connections with my exes as well but getting back to the scene mm-hmm. so there there's a you know i have a line where i say uh i just want to touch your face again Ooh. uh and, and of course that that tells you pretty much and the, usually there are lines that right. you find 
even in the most basic plays. I mean, right. you know, this is just a budding playwright um, who I'm working with, mm-hmm. which goes to another thing that I want to talk about. There are no, I'm, I had an acting teacher tell me all the time, there are no small roles. Right. Only small actors. Oh, yeah. So if you take a role and you're like, oh, my God, you know, okay, well, I'll go ahead and do this, but I'm not really. You can never, when someone writes a play or even a scene or something like I've mm-hmm. worked with budding playwrights, like at the Douglas Morrison theater, mm-hmm. they have a program where they have, um, high school kids write mm-hmm. plays right? and they have veteran actors actually do, uh, the play. Mm-hmm. And I've done, I've done at least two of them and it's wonderful to see the smile on their faces. They're seeing their works right. being done. Right. It's like, it's their child mm-hmm. and you're taking care of their child. So yeah. when I'm, I have a script in my hand, I don't care how basic it is or whatever it is. I treat it as if it were the gospel. I mean, mm-hmm. I treat it right. with tender, loving care. No, I think that analogy you made is great. They treat it like a child. Like you, if you took somebody's baby, I don't really care about this baby. I don't know this baby. But mm-hmm. while you're sitting there looking at me and I'm holding this baby, <laughs> I'm going to be extra tender. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you, you, you know, both as a director and as an actor, you, you treat it with care. I, geez, yeah, I, I... And it's funny, I spent the morning, um, we went out to Alhambra High School, Martinez, Mm -hmm. little shout out, Um, and we um, went to four classes to talk about the program I'm going to teach this summer. So it's a theater intensive, it's going to be at the Eugene O'Neill House this summer. Mm -hmm. And I had to say, you know, I love working with new works, and if you're, we, it's for writers and actors. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, if you're a writer or if you think you want to put your toe in that water and try it out, we will support you. And I'm totally comfortable about it. In between classes, we actually ended up talking. And she's like, well, I'm really worried. I mean, I said, well, the way I approach playwriting when I'm teaching playwriting is you're trying to identify that core thing. So who is this about and who are they interacting with? What is it that they want? Exactly. Who are they interacting with about that? Is it somebody that wants to help them, that they want to help them? Somebody who's in their way? What is going on with that dynamic? If you can identify those elements, when you start to tell the rest of the story, what happens? She was like, well, I'm just worried because we have to limit these pieces. They have to be short pieces. Right. And I said, that part I am so not worried about. I am worried about it's going to be harder to get the words out of the writer than it is to go back and try to figure out how to edit it. Yeah. That part's easy Mm -hmm. because part of it is to say, identify those things. So this is about character A who wants their greatest wish is the other way I like putting it. Mm -hmm. And somebody is getting in their way or they need their help and they have to enlist them. Right. And that is the core of what you're talking about. Everything else is gossip. Everything else is what led up to it. Maybe that's the scene that was before. So the scene where they met and they talked and they mm-hmm. got to know each other, that's an earlier scene. Right. Let's not worry about that scene right now. Let's focus in on this little 10 to 12 minutes of what it was that was really important about this and change their life, mm-hmm. potentially, or at least set them up for they identify the thing that could change their life. Do they get it? Do they not get it? Yep. Yeah. And as an actor, that's what you're looking for. And like I'm, I, you talked about you're about to, to audition. I have an audition um, on Sunday and I've already gotten my, uh, the script. So I have to do a cold read. Mm-hmm. And of course I'm looking for, okay, what is this person all about? I mean, what is, what's the thing? And of course, right. when you do cold reads, when they give you these things, they're usually giving you a script, you know, let's say a two page script or whatever. Right. 
where that is the meat of that particular character. Yeah. And they want to see what you what can you do with it. Depending on depending on the director and the casting people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they give you something just so they can hear you. Sometimes they give you something so they can throw some changes at you mm-hmm. to see how well you make adjustments. Yeah. Um, and if they're particularly evil, and it's funny, <laughs> my wife does not like that word. Yeah. But I find that some people knowingly put you in an awkward or a bad situation, and I call that evil. Yeah. I never understood. And, Go ahead. And so Go, the no. evil choice is mm-hmm. to give you the hardest thing. I've had a director do that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I had a, yeah, I heard something too. Yeah. I heard a director do that. Um, had, I know a director who loves to do this. This is the hardest part of the play. I'm not sure I understand it or what and or what I'm going to do with it. Let me throw it at the actors walking in uh-huh. to this audition and see what they do with it. Maybe somebody will figure it out or give me some ideas. Actually, that's kind of fun for me as an actor. I mean, I kind of like that stuff. If they like what I do, that's fine. If they don't, I'm like, well, listen, I just did whatever and boom. Oh, I, I know. I, I can think of one instance in particular, this one director who I worked with a number of times. Mm-hmm. So I know he liked my work and he liked my inventiveness. Yeah. But um, he auditioned me for this piece and I did everything I could to make sense of that. Yeah. And I saw some of it. So maybe other actors got that or maybe he figured that out too. Yeah. But it was dense. And I said something to him about it because he asked for adjustments and I made the adjustments. And then I said to him afterwards that this was just really difficult. And he said, yeah, it's <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the play. I, I don't know said. what to do with it. And now, I was like, seriously. Now I'll, t- I'll tell you what's evil. Or well, not necessarily okay. evil. Well, I, it's I, I my guess, word. I'll own uh, yeah. it. <laughs> but let's say I bring in, let's say someone gives me a monologue. And I do the monologue and I do my own beats. And I've worked it out in my head. Mm-hmm. And the director's like, well, not really. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm like, okay, so what is it? Well, do it again. But do it differently. Right. And I'm like, um, and I don't know what really to, I'll try to do it differently, but I'm not giving any guidance or, and usually I deal with this with directors who are young, who are new Uh to doing theater. They don't know how to work with an actor. I would prefer a director to say, well, why did you make that choice? Where are you going with that? Like Susan Evans will say that all the time. But that's. I can understand why directors won't do that in audition. In rehearsal, absolutely. Yeah. But in and, audition, you don't yeah. want to go through a whole day of that conversation. Well, sure. I was actually talking about the actual rehearsal process. Sure. If I'm working on an actual script and I'm not getting anything from the director or the director's like, well, I want you, and they act it out. Well, I want you to, you know, just, and do it. And I'm like, okay, now I've got to work in my own mind. Right. What the motivation is, or why, what can get me there? What, and they, that takes what time. they've given you as a suggestion, yeah, it's a mistake to think I must try and imitate what they just did, right? Because I have no idea why I'm doing it, right? But and I've got to figure that out in my head, and mm-hmm. I may not even have the time, especially if he's like, "Okay, I want you to do it like this." Now go. Well, you could do both because that's inside out, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. The outside is do the exterior, do imitate, mimic what they showed you. Mm-hmm. The interior is, how are you going to make sense of it? How are you going to make it something that makes sense for you? Because mm-hmm. I do, I've done that plenty of times where directors ask me to do something that made no sense to me. And I've done what they said to do. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, because I basically, like a trained dog, did what they told me to do. But I'm not comfortable with it. And so sometimes I will try to take it, shift it back to someplace that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I will intentionally 
maybe find a new way to do it the way I want to do it, mm-hmm. but not necessarily do what they just made me do. Yeah, because and the... see if we can have a dialogue. If that, yeah. Anytime you can encourage dialogue, I feel like theater is a collaborative process, right. and sometimes you have a director who is more, you know, dictor- dic- 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 dictatorial. Yes, yes. You know that they're telling you to do it the way they want it. Right. And most of the time, you just it's not worth picking that battle. But sometimes you really feel like you're on to something mm-hmm. or that they're pulling you way off of your right. mark, off of the place that makes sense to you. Yeah. And that would it would be nice if that were a dialogue, if that were a conversation. And sometimes <clears throat> you can't get the conversation. Everybody hates that actor who wants to spend too much time talking about their process. So instead, if you could just make a choice that forces the director to go, no, no, I want... Now we can have a dialogue. Now they're going to open yeah. that up, open up the door to it. They want this. Mm-hmm. I can say I don't understand this part of it. Right. And then we can try something new. And I need that dialogue. I mean, as an actor, if I make a bold choice, if I don't make any choice at all, then I can understand the frustration or, and what have you. But if I make a bold choice, at least be able to tell me why you don't want that choice. Or mm-hmm. we can have a dialogue as to... Well, why are we doing this choice? And I understand the time limit because you right. may say, hey, listen, we're rehearsing from 8 to 10 and I got to work through all of these scenes. Right. So I can't. So we can't just dialogue right. about every moment. <clears throat> but I would at least want a director to say, listen, here's my vision. Here's what I thought, think the scene is all about. Mm-hmm. Okay, go. And even if I don't have it right there at that, that time, that night, I'll at least say, okay, let me work on it again. And, you know, the next time I'll, I'll approach it a different way because I, I can at least see where you're going. Right. It's funny. Um, there was an article that I read. It actually deals with relationships. So um, in Slate magazine, they uh-huh. had a uh, ma- uh, article about, I guess, um, and, you know, we're it's a <clears throat> two days before Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day is on Sunday. But um, there's an article about. Um, your uh, your wife will hate <laughs> right your wife your will wife hate your hu- husband, husband after, after you have you a have child a yeah. yeah shield and then there was another article that i read the very next day it was on the new yorker about open relationships and how open relationships may actually enhance a marriage or whatever that was and fascinating I, it was fascinating the, the first one i just was like huh, uh okay i, I I am going to be biased. I'm going to be male biased about this. I went, hmm, I bet this is written by a woman. <laughs> uh, because it really was a bunch about how the how the different genders deal with yeah. having a child. And, and it really points to the paternalism of our culture and the sort of, um, mm. what's the word, privilege yeah. that but comes also, up around But that. also I think it deals, and I think both... Both articles uh-huh. and also what we're talking about now is about communication. Mm-hmm. So in the first article, the Slate article is basically about the woman basically saying, my husband's not doing enough to take care of the child. You know, we had one relationship prior to the child mm-hmm. and things were wonderful. We're dating, you know, it's like we're boyfriend, girlfriend again, but we're married, but we have this wonderful connection. And then all of a sudden the baby comes and he's still late. He doesn't want to take, he doesn't want to do the diapers and he doesn't want to clean. And right. I don't the know. idea of yeah. we're going to do our fair share. Right. Breaks down right. when you're the one breastfeeding. Right. You know, yeah, and all that stuff. Um, and, and it affects, and that the weirdest thing in that article I mm-hmm. thought was the thing about, so number one for women, the thing that'll wake you up in the middle of the night is the sound of a baby crying. Mm-hmm. 
It's not even on the top 10 of a man's list. Right. He's still sleeping. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and it's funny because I love those moments. I feel like I'm a fairly light sleeper. Uh-huh. I love those moments when I realize that I slept through something. Mm-hmm. But um, so I want to think that I'd be that guy that, no, baby's crying. I wake up. I would I would want to think that, mm-hmm. but you know the stats don't bear that out. The stats say that guys yeah. just and, roll over and don't respond, yeah. and women are hypersensitive. And to I it. do wonder who's who's doing the stats and who are they talking to, and, well, yeah. and all that. Well, it's stuff. slate, so you know it's <laughs> down and dirty in terms of its analysis right, exactly. of information. But also just the communication of just two people saying, "Listen, you know, can you do this? Can you do that?" Right. Obviously, there's there's no real communication or an honest communication. Right. A man saying, yes, baby, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take, I, I will clean. I will do this better. Yes, you're absolutely right. But if he's honest, he would say, listen, I don't really feel like doing this. I guess I've got to do it, but I don't really want to do it. Now, of course, right. that's honest, but that could destroy your marriage. You know, she doesn't well, want to hear that. And the other thing that comes up with that is just the, when is something time sensitive? Mm-hmm. The baby's crying. The baby needs to be taken care of now. Yeah. The dishes need to be washed. The dishes are not crying. Right. So if the dishes sit for 20 minutes, that's no big deal. But you, you saw what they read in the art. Right. The woman was but like, she said she's it pissed off. Lights her up. <laughs> I, I understand it. Yeah. And I'm living it, actually. I, I With the boy, that's his go-to. His go-to is the in a minute. Later. And it's yeah. always, a minute is, you know, 20 minutes easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, like, if you just turned around and got this done now, in 20 minutes, you would be doing the thing you want to be doing, and this would be done. But mm-hmm. instead, in 20 minutes, we're going to start this conversation again. <laughs> and I'm sure it's the same thing between husbands and wives. Sure. That, you know, I asked you to do this. I asked you to do this. Yeah. You know, how many times? I remember my stepfather used to say that to me. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, a. I could get, in the time that it takes me to ask you three or four times to get the yard raked, I could have done it. And I'm thinking, why did you just do it then? <laughs> why are you bothering are, me? Are you, are you really going to tell him that, though? I had a healthy no, fear. No, at that, at that yeah. age, of course I wasn't going to tell it, but yeah. that's what went through my brain sure, was, sure. I understand the logic of what you're saying, but yeah. therefore, you could just get it done and it would be done. Yeah. Why are you bothering me when clearly I don't want to do it? <laughs> I've always had a healthy fear of uh, my parents and I call oh, it a healthy too. fear me too and I don't know if the millennials know this because back in our days they used the belt oh yeah they used at the least whip. the belt <laughs> so if the belt the hanger the switch <laughs> oh my well ooh, not the hanger the shoe not the hanger my mother very quickly decided the hanger wasn't a good one yeah. and I think part of it was just you know hangers can leave marks yeah that's not good <laughs> And it's funny because shoe apparently is just not as consistent. A hand is consistent. <laughs> mm-hmm. A good switch, well, a good switch will leave marks too. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lordy. Yes, there, there was a different time. There was a different era. Much, much I've always, that's, that's my book. If I ever get to write a children's book. <laughs> yeah. Not a children's book, a how-to book. Yeah. My how-to book for parents is how to beat your child well. <laughs> oh, man. Because there are some do's and don'ts. Yeah. And it's important to know those. You don't want to yank your child uh-huh. by their arm in such a way that it dislocates their shoulder. Yeah. Then you got to go to the hospital. Or at the very least, you got to give them a sling and they go to school with the sling on and it's, mm-hmm. and it's bruises. All You don't want to do that. You want to yank your child efficiently so there is nothing but pure pain 
and their full attention on whatever you were telling them to do or telling them not to do. And and no lingering effects. No lingering. No damage. Just their full attention. Please don't hate us on the podcast. We are not advocating being. Oh, believe me, this is a completely tongue-in-cheek satirical yeah. thing. But I but I can I can do the encyclopedia uh-huh. and and I grew up on it. So yeah. it's funny to me when I see a teenager so much as roll their eyes, I'm like, wow. Eye rolling went out of my vocabulary before I was out of elementary school. That's exactly right. That's oh. exactly right. It was, I mean, if, if, my, if my parents, especially my dad, would say, listen, I want this done. And it, could, it would take only two minutes. All he had to do was look at me and it's like, hey, what I, what I tell you? To hear Boom. that phrase, you yeah. know, that's the precursor. That's your warning. Right. Because people will say something about giving a warning. I learned that about fighting. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to fight you, mm-hmm. my warning to you is don't make me do this. That's my warning. I don't need to say, I'm going to hit you. Right. Because that's too much of a warning. Now you're going to get defensive. No, no, no. <laughs> I gave you the warning. Mm-hmm. You didn't heed the warning. So right. the next thing is, and now I'm fully paying attention to yep. what is going on. And So to- you learn all those phrases. Mm-hmm. And when you hear one, you know, ooh, I'm on notice. <laughs> <laughs> right. And usually, I think, I, you know, I, I think about, oh, my God, my, my daddy beat me like this or whatever. I remember only maybe one beating. And of course, the fear right takes takes the rest away. Oh yeah. So no, know. like I said, by the time I was a teenager, all it it had to be said once. If it was said twice, I was in motion, going, "I'm emotional, <laughs> I'm emotion." Right. I remember seeing my uncle, adult yeah. uncle, um, at my grandmother's house. Yeah. And she was mad about something, and she was chasing him <laughs> with a broom. And uh-huh. if she'd gotten in distance, she was going to clock him. Wow. Like, he might have ended up in the hospital that night. <laughs> and so he's grown, and he's adult, so he can move faster than her. That's a hell of a And he's running the way her house was configured. Uh-huh. If you walked in the front door, you were in the living room. Yeah. To your right was the kitchen. There was a doorway that led into the kitchen. Yeah. If you went through the kitchen, there was a, another turn would take you out the back door uh-huh. or around the corner into the <laughs> utility room, they yeah. called it. And that's where the furnace was, hot water heater. Yeah. You went through the utility room and it brought you into another hallway that came that met where the other side of the living room emptied yeah. out into. Yeah. They were doing that circle. Yeah. With him going, Mama, Mama. Now wait a minute, Mama. She's like, ah, God damn it. Ah, 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 ah. She's chasing after him with this broom. And I'm a little child watching this and going, He's bigger than her. He's stronger than her. But if she gets in distance, she is gonna smack him. How long were they married? No, no, this was my this was my grandmother uh-huh. chasing my uncle. Oh, I understand. I understand. My my mother's brother. Sure. Got it. And I was looking at this adult man thinking, this woman you're gonna let this woman beat you. Mm-hmm. But it's your mama. Yeah. Of course you're gonna let <laughs> Yeah. It's and and my fear. brother when yeah. um shortly before my brother died, yeah. uh, my brother died when he was about thirty five. Mm-hmm. And um we had known for a couple of years he had a heart condition, mm-hmm. and he was on a he was on a list. He was waiting to get a transplant, mm-hmm. and I went down to visit, and we were talking. And he had become, from the family perspective, he had become a very um, he changed. sullen would not even be the right word for it. He had hmm. been he had kind of got out into the world and kind of felt like he was on his own, doing his own thing. Yeah, and he still was connected to family, but mm-hmm. there was just this this tension. Hmm. Um, and so we were all aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting with him as he's just, he's on medication. He can barely breathe. He can barely move. Hmm. And I figure now's the time I can actually get some honest 
things. Mm-hmm. So I said something to him about, actually, I don't remember what the conversation was. He brought it up and said, no, I did ask him. I said, you, he brought up something and I said, well, you wouldn't hit mama, would you? And he said, no, I would never hit mom. And he was hurt. I could tell he was hurt by the question. Mm-hmm. And he was a big man. He was a bit of a bully. I mean, mm-hmm. at his memorial service, we talked to a bunch of his friends who were free about the conversations mm-hmm. about when he got he got a few drinks in him and got in the mood. And um, there was one guy who had been golden gloves. And my brother heard about it and said, oh, well, let's put the gloves on. He got had some gloves in his garage, got mm-hmm. him out, and then got out in the street. And he said my brother just schooled him on wow. boxing. Mm-hmm. So my brother was known for being a violent person, what he wanted to be. Yeah. But the idea that he would hit his mama mm. was just, you might have you might have said to a Catholic that he would have sinned. I mean, he just, there was yeah. no possibility. Yeah. And I understood when he said it, I was quick to reassure him that I understood exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. So it's funny because that's the other thing people say that violence begets violence. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, I know it does. But would I ever have raised my hand to my mother to this day, raised my hand to my mother? Mm-hmm. If my mother went to hit me, I would defend myself. I would try yeah. to get out of distance. Yeah. And you know, the sad part is because I work in the DA's office, there are a lot of folks who don't have that. They mm-hmm. don't have that, you know, raising my hand against my mother, that, that, that would be, you know, absolutely no way. Well, but, I was on, <clears throat> I was on the road to, yeah. if I have kids. Yeah. I'm sure going to do this. I'm going to be better about it. I'm not going to be cruel. And it's funny to this day. (laughs) This one I can't believe. I can say this one. There are certain things I know. I don't know if you have a list. I have a list in my head of things that I will wait until my mother is gone before I will say. But this one I will say because it cracked me up. We were all adults and we Mm -hmm. were visiting. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about getting beatings. Yeah. Uh, She made a joke about Hot Wheel Track. Uh Uh-huh. Because Hot Wheel became a thing in the 60s. Hot oh, Wheel became oh, yeah. a thing. Oh, yeah. And the Hot Wheel track, one of the greatest <clears> things <throat> about Hot Wheels was you could put the track together in whatever configuration you wanted. Mm-hmm. So it was these sections, these little strips yeah. that my mother very quickly found were perfect. Oh, no. And she so used that as a Hot whip. Wheel track started to disappear <laughs> out of our house. Oh, goodness. We disappeared all the Hot Wheel tracks. So she'd get mad and she'd look around. She couldn't find it. Yeah. Get me a piece of track. Oh, I can't find it. We we very quickly lost all of that track. And so she started making, and she forgot about that period. Yeah. We never did. Yeah. So as adults, we would joke about it, mm-hmm. and she would always get a little hurt when we joke about mm-hmm. it. So one year, I guess to show us that she'd gotten past that, she made a joke about the Hot Wheel track. And we all laughed harder than she did. Yeah. And then she said, well, but but the truth is, you know, she wanted to get honest with us, but yeah. the truth is, I never beat you kid in anger. And we all just sort of <laughs> held our breath and stifled the laugh. And it was as if somebody had farted and we just waited for the smell to move on, move the conversation on. We're, we're not going to yeah. go there. But I have a picture and yeah. I've been saving it because it's a picture. Somebody got a picture of one day when she was raised up, ready to swing, oh, mm. biting her lip, ready to yeah. do it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You tried to tell me that woman wasn't angry because <laughs> I'm sorry. I see that. Yeah. And I actually went through therapy. I went through counseling about that. Hmm. And um, and somebody pointed out to me one day because I was talking about, well, sometimes you have to do it. You have to beat a child sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this is this is to me totally the subject of matter of stuff that we should talk about on Mother's Day. Yeah. For Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, 
they asked me this question and I I was just justifying it. I grew up this way and look at me, I'm okay. Yeah, of course, you, sometimes you got to do it. And they said, well, were you a smart child? And from earliest age, I had always been told I was a smart child. Mm -hmm. I had always been praised for my intelligence. Yeah. So that is a core part of who I am in mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, of course I am. Well, do you think there's any way that they could have, any other way that they could have communicated to you to do something or to not do something? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And they stopped me and said, well, then they didn't need to beat you. And it just stopped me. And I couldn't argue my way around that reasoning. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of my, oh, okay, I guess I, guess I really cannot come. If I come up with a justification for doing that, mm -hmm. then what I'm saying to myself is I can't find any other way to do it. Yeah. I have a, I have a different take on it um, because I, just like you, I was praised for my intelligence. You know, they would always say, oh, little Reggie, you know, get, mm -hmm. go up on, the, you know, go to Metropolitan Baptist Church and, right. you know, recite, You're gonna recite the 23rd right. Psalm and the 100th Psalm and all that stuff. And very intelligent kid. And I was an only child. And my mother would always be like, yes, you know, and he and there was a great emphasis because both my parents were young, really, really young, mm -hmm. which is another thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, I bet I got you beat on that one, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So, go ahead. So, any, so anyway, um, so my mother would always try to show how intelligent I am to show her other relatives, like her right. mother and her sisters, guess what? I'm a great mother. See? Right. Watch. Look at, look at them. And anytime I made a mistake, she would freak out. She would oh, panic because uh -huh. it was like, oh, my God, it's going to come back on me. Right. And so... Did I, you know, I, I suppose I could have done counseling or whatever, because, you know, there were some really bad moments where <clears throat> she just lost it. And, you know, I, I got beatings and, and all that sort of stuff. Sure. But I chalk it up as an adult. They really I mean, we like just like this podcast and and people communicating on Facebook and mm -hmm. and Twitter and Snapchat and all that stuff. We have so many avenues of communicating and emoting right. and getting whatever we have out of our system Been and through. having an audience and having some feedback. Yeah. I can understand, you know, folks like, I don't know, Kim Kardashian or PewDiePie, you know, the yeah. YouTube right. folks who need, hey, tell me that I have value. Tell, right. tell me that I'm good for something or whatever. Right. And I think our parents, especially... I was talking with uh, my cubicle mate at the DA's office, and she's, her name is uh, Mar Stevens. Uh, she's a drummer, and she's very much into, you know, mm -hmm. um, just being healthy and communicating in the soul and the spirit or whatever. And she told me, and she, she goes to Africa a lot, and mm -hmm. she basically says, listen, our ancestors were beaten as slaves. Sure. And we learned that, and that has been passed on and on, right. and that's why we beat our kids. And yeah. I think... I know that my folks were so young, mm -hmm. they didn't know how to communicate right. or and how to articulate. You know, when you get frustrated, like when I get frustrated, I know how to internalize it and say, okay, let me use this energy in a positive manner. Sure. Our parents didn't know how to do that. No, they didn't. No, I, oh my gosh. One of the greatest things I learned about growing up, about getting older, mm -hmm. uh, maturing, let's say. Yeah. Um, and I mean as an adult to continue that growth. Because uh, if you're a younger adult, you should know you will keep growing. It's, yeah. it's, you will either keep growing or you will be one of those stunted people who gets older but doesn't keep growing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have become fascinated with... Like, I don't know what age my grandmother was when she died, and I need to look it up. Because I've been loving hitting those ages. How old, like, 
My mother was 16 mm-hmm. when she had me. Mm. So I know what I was like at 16. Mm-hmm. If you'd have put a child in my arms at 16, oh, Lord, please call CPS. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that child was you. in danger. I hear you. Um, I know when I was 24 what I was doing, and I would look back and see my mom. I didn't actually start doing this until I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And I hit some age where I went, wait a minute. Mom was this age when this happened in our lives. Mm-hmm. And to think about the context of what was going on with her and my mentality at that age. So I keep doing that as I get older. I look at my current age. I look at what Mm -hmm. my parents and other people were doing at that age. Mm -hmm. And I kind of compare. And sometimes I look pretty good and I'm feeling great. (laughs) Now, sometimes my mom, I'm going to be 58. Mm -hmm. My mom at this age was living in Mexico. I'm like, wait a minute, retired and mm-hmm. living in Mexico. I'm like, okay, I can't beat that one. Ah, <laughs> ah, that's, that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Ah, wow. And now they're back in the States. Uh-huh. So that was just a phase. And now they've moved past that and they've moved on. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating because my grandma, who when I was a little, little boy, yeah. seemed like the world, a God figure. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. When I was your age, you're more like that friend of mine I know who sometimes needs a little help, sometimes needs a, you know somebody to kind of look out for him. Mm-hmm. That's who you're like. So I'm actually that friend who looks out for you. Ah. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's true. So I have at this age friends who are grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I look at them and I'm kind of like, okay, so there's some stuff that I can admire, but there's some stuff where I'm like... No, I think I'd do a better job of that than you're doing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. By the way, I'm still stunned that you're 58 years old. You don't look a day, you know, I would say. (laughs) This is what 58 looks like. Anytime somebody (laughs) tries to tell me you don't look, no, no, no. This is to the day what this looks like. Uh, And my father and I just talked this week. I'll be going down. He and my stepmother, who is Uh the other mother in my life, um, will be celebrating their 75th birthday next Friday. Wow. And uh, so I'll, we'll be doing this on another day next week. Yeah, we'll uh, be uh, rescheduling. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll we'll see when we'll, we'll do the that. we'll do it. But getting back to yeah, I do the exact same thing. And the thing is, my, I compare my dad with myself. I mean, uh-huh. he had me when he was twenty two years old, and he was in the army. Mm, wow, uh, in Texas, mm-hmm. stationed Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, at a very hostile time mm-hmm. in, in American history. I mean, right. you know, 1968, Bobby Kennedy's shot and, you know, Martin Luther King died. I have, n- I still want to ask dad, how was it like living in that time, especially at that time? And he has a pregnant, you know, uh, uh, woman, uh, uh, mom was 18 when she had me. And some of the stuff that I saw him go through, I mean, um, just the the relationship issues that that they had and and, you know we began this discussion on communication and he had a heart and that's one of the good things that i've learned from dad is communicating he was a fantastic communicator Mm -hmm. the same way that you and i are talking he would talk to me as a kid you know the same way uh it was really really wonderful but um you know at 30 years old being in the relationship that he had and, you know, he had a house and plus he was, he had his R and B group. Mm. He had a lot going on for him, right. but he also just went through a lot of just frustration. I think I would have sure. just terminated and walked away. And cause you know, I'm very, 
One of the bad habits of me, and I don't even know why I'm doing this confessional. <laughs> hey, it's just you and me and millions of people who are listening, right? Um, I'm very good at walking away. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not into an argument person. I don't raise my voice. Right. Uh, if someone pisses me off and I know that I can't talk to them and rationalize with them, sure. I'll simply say, well, I hear what you're saying. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Right. And then I am gone. Mm-hmm. And you may never hear from me again. Right. And parents don't. Always get that option. Yeah, Some yeah, you can't do that because, yeah, of course, you have a child. Yeah, kinda, <laughs> they just kind of had to suck it up. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and the other article, the um, the New Yorker article, talked about open relationships. That was it's a long article, though. <laughs> but no, no, but I did yeah. read all the way through it because yeah. she kept the writer kept doing an excellent job of. Introducing a concept, mm-hmm. kind of visiting it for a moment, and then you know she kept bouncing back and forth between exactly anecdotal the, interviews, right? Um, what is out there? What is not just what's out there currently, but mm-hmm. what's what is the thinking out in in um, psychology, sociology? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what is out there? What is the thinking that's going on? What pop culture has been putting out now? What right. have you put out right. in the past? Yeah. The evolution of all that. She kept bouncing back and forth, and what was very satisfying mm-hmm. was. You open with a couple, and you get to revisit them throughout the article. Right. But each step, you feel like you've gotten a beautiful sense of where they're at and what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. and then you bounce forward. And um, just to just to give a quick overview of of a couple of things, as I got more than halfway through the article, I was a little disappointed that she didn't spend more time with the gay relationships. But what I love was she introduced the concept because mm-hmm. she was talking about open marriage and yeah. open relationships. Mm-hmm. And in talking about that, she had to acknowledge that in a time when we, our culture, and she even points that out, our culture embraces um, gay marriage mm-hmm. more than ever than we ever have. Yeah. We either embrace it or we're neutral about it. Two-thirds of the cult- culture, she cites a right. stat. So then she does spend some time talking about what that means and how that culture has always had a different take on relationships. So she does outline that well, but then she brings it back to the core thing, which is how does this affect heterosexual relationships? And she does a really masterful job of bouncing back and forth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she, and she talks about, you know, basically the premise is, you know, you have a man and a woman, they marry. I think they marry very, very early. Right. And of course... And a lot of the open relationships gets into sex. And I'm not even sure if this is the proper podcast or whatever, but I'm always fascinated by individuals who take sex. I'm talking about sex as the act. You know, when we talk about sex, the word, it's either the identity of sex. Right. Or the act of sex. Sure. And usually the relate when a relationship breaks up or you talk about open relationships, it's always about the act of sex. Um, Right. The woman isn't satisfied. The man is satisfied. But... Right. You know, that's how and, or vice versa, and yeah. yeah, and one person's like, Well, let me see if I can find what else is out there. And then she right. drifts into other thing else. And what's interesting about the article is the article talks about I guess the preconceived notions or these things that are passed on from generation to generation, the right. concept right. of marriage. Right. And we try to follow these concepts right. until we realize if if it doesn't work for you. Hey, this isn't working. Let's do something else. Well, the funny thing is, so you you suggested these articles. You'd seen them, and I and I went to read them. And I am a 
I'm, I'm going to claim newlywed. I'm mm-hmm. going to claim newlywed for another, you know, seven, eight months. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys I, still I, in the... In we, the yeah. we did our yeah. first year, but we're just past our first year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you talking to me about this? And then I thought, as I read it, I was like, actually, a lot of these questions are questions that the culture requires us to answer for ourselves mm-hmm. if we're going to have a successful marriage. Yeah. And what I found interesting... And I wish the article had talked more about it. It's still about communication. It's mm-hmm. still about, let's say if something is going wrong in your relationship, are right. you honest in talking about these things? It sounds like... In more the, than the, anything. I felt like she did a good job if she kept coming back to that. This is really... And I love that you point that out. The sex versus the communication. Mm-hmm. Because... It's, you know, as, as far as I can tell, it's documented that people get together. They have that wonderful, it's even, there was even a term for it, new relationship energy. Oh, um, okay. In the article, she points to that. Yeah. That people, there's an excitement. We all know that. When you meet somebody and you first find that spark mm-hmm. and then you actually get some smolder and then it yeah. turns into a flame. Yeah. Now, if it can turn into a bonfire, wow, you know that you're in the throes <laughs> of love. Right. If yeah. it's just one night and a quick poof. Right. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But when you get into that committed relationship, you really consciously make a decision to put that on the shelf, if not in the waste bin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's done. You are not going to mess with that. In the same way, I'm carrying around books I've been carrying around since high school mm-hmm. and haven't cracked the cover on many of them mm-hmm. since then. Mm-hmm. But I, hopefully at least half of them I've cracked the cover on. Mm-hmm. Um, in that same way, when you... Your identity as a, not just sexual being, but as a fully mature being and your interactions as a social animal, you basically put a bunch of those off limits. And that's... Hopefully. Well, that's that's the, the deal. That is the commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I compared it to, it's like you said to yourself, I'm just going to have angel food cake for the rest of my life. No more chocolate, no more pineapple upside down. Mm-hmm. I'm done with all that. And that seems a little crazy. And I know for myself that I had to think about that. And I had thought about it in the abstract, but then I met a person and I was like, okay, so wait a minute. Am I really just committing to this? It's If you eat cereal, if you eat you know, box cereal every morning, mm-hmm. you probably switch it up every now and then. You probably just don't year after year buy exactly the same box of cereal without ever switching it up. Every now and then you probably have a Mm -hmm. little something else. You're just walking down the aisle and you go, today, Cheerios looks good to me. Mm -hmm. Today, I haven't had Captain Crunch in three years. Let me get some Captain Crunch. (laughs) I'm probably more of a sentimentalist. I mean, I'm I'm looking at my um, Raisin raisin brand. And that's my brand. And I think, like, the soap that I use is Irish Spring. And I don't think I've ever used anything else. You don't ever switch it up. I've never switched it up. Wow. But, you know, there are people who are like that. And when it it gets into communication, if, and to be honest, men lie all the time. I mean, men. Everybody lies. Well, everybody lies. But I think women are a lot better at communicating and just saying what's really on their minds. And men are more like, well. uh, Women generally have a skill that men may not always be as strong in. Right. Right. Uh, And I think. Especially if a relationship is getting stale. I remember um, there was a um, there was a secretary at our uh, office a long, long time ago. She told me a story. I'll make it really quick. Mm-hmm. Where she, um, 
I think she was uh, celebrating her 20th anniversary with her husband, but she was feeling really stale. She felt the relationship was stale. Mm-hmm. And she had a talk with her husband. She was like, listen, I'm not satisfied with this relationship. Mm-hmm. It, things have just gotten really boring. It's not exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't know. I, d- I can't express how I feel. I hate to say it, but maybe the relationship is over. I don't really want it to be over because I feel comfortable with you, but mm-hmm. I just feel it's really, really stale. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say? And the man said absolutely nothing. He just paused. And um, he says, uh, I just want to think about it, and let's can we talk about this tomorrow? And she was like, well, okay. And she went to bed really uneasy. She was like, oh, my God, I think mm-hmm. I may have destroyed the relationship. I think he's going to leave me. So she went to work. Um she came back home. He was gone. Mm-hmm. There was a note on the bed. Mm-hmm. She noticed his suitcase was gone. Some clothes were gone. Not all of his clothes were gone. And she opened up the envelope, and there were two tickets to Vegas. A ticket to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And in the note, he says, uh, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's time to spice it up. I'm in Vegas. Come on down. Right. And we're going to have a wonderful time. And she's basically her story was from that moment on, we started doing exciting, wonderful, incredible things throughout our relationship. And our relationship was revived. The article touches on that. The article touches on that sort of thing. Um, This woman spent years researching this, Mm -hmm. um, interviewing people, keeping in touch with them, um, you know, researching the field. What is the writing? What is the stuff that's out there? Mm -hmm. Um, and she pointed out that that happens a lot where they get to that point and it's 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that would be the point where a couple would start talking about divorce. And I love that it was late in the article where she brought that up where there was one couple that actually did. They did eventually divorce. They were in therapy and the therapist brought it up and they both were just like shocked that the word had even been brought up. Mm-hmm. Um because what more often happened in the couples that she was citing that more successfully, not all of them were successful, but more successfully dealt with this idea of an open or non-monogamous relationship. Um, and she's wonderful about the terminology, dealing, mm-hmm. exploring that. Mm-hmm. But those people found that their communication, something had to shift. And even for those people who were not particularly verbal, mm-hmm. something shifted in the behavior of the relationship and they felt heard more. So it's it's pretty well documented that there's that honeymoon, and we call it that, the honeymoon period, mm-hmm. where everything is good. And then you get into habit, and especially once you start having kids and stuff. I mean, I've been running through it recently. Both my wife and I have non-traditional jobs because we work in the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and our schedules can just get weird. So for me, my schedule has been very busy for the last few weeks. I'm seeing her when I come home at night. Mm -hmm. She gets up early and leaves before me. But in the last few weeks, I've been getting up right behind her. In fact, for the last couple of weeks, she's been making me a cup of coffee because before that, I could maybe sleep in for a couple hours before I had to get up and do anything. Lately, it's been, no, I really need to be out the door right behind you. Within 30 to 40 Mm -hmm. minutes, I need to be out the door behind you. And we've been doing that. But you get in those habits and those patterns and suddenly one of the things that said in the article was there was a couple that had been together for a long time and that they still kissed as a greeting. Mm-hmm. And I immediately stopped reading and grabbed her and gave her a kiss. Oh, nice. I was like, oh, I don't do that. She does that. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. I have my own way of doing it. Yeah. Like for me, it's actually 
And because she, we talked about this. This has been on my mind. Thank you for the article because mm-hmm. it made me think about oh, this cool. stuff. Um, the little ways that you say I love you without actually saying the words I love you. Yeah. So for me, one of those ways is I get up. We have blinds and curtains. Uh-huh. So I'll get up. She's gotten in the habit because I fussed about it a bunch about making sure that the blinds are turned correctly at night. So when that sun comes up, or when we have a window that faces east. Okay, yeah. When that sun comes up, I want to do it on my terms, not on the sun's terms. Right, yeah. And so you have to do the blinds correctly and then close the curtains. Well, she does that. She's great about that. Mm. But in the morning, she doesn't want to... She doesn't want to turn the light on mm-hmm. if I'm still, if I'm not getting up yet, oh, if I'm still in bed. Yeah. And so in the last month or so, I've been jumping up mm-hmm. when she gets up. She'll like run to the bathroom and I'll jump up and I will open the drapes mm. and open the blinds a little bit. I still don't want the sun coming in on me, but yeah. So that even since we're in summertime, we're approaching summertime, Mm -hmm. that light comes into the room. She doesn't have to turn on the light. We can just open the drapes. And I've been doing that. No conversation has happened about this. Mm -hmm. So I pointed that out today because I was like, that's one of my ways of saying I love you. Because I said, you know, I talked to my friend Elizabeth. And Mm -hmm. I'll I'll mention her later because her show is up and running now. Oh, cool. But um, Elizabeth and I had a conversation about this today. And I mm-hmm. said, well, one of the ways that I say I love you is I make the bed. And Elizabeth said, I do that too. And when I mentioned it to Mara, she said, well, you get, I get up. What am I supposed to do? Tell you to get up so I can make the bed? And I said, no, that's not my point. My point is I started doing it as a way of saying I love you. And I got in the habit of doing it. And then one day, every now and then, it only happens maybe once or twice a month, I have to get up before you and go. Mm-hmm. And I come home, and the bed's not made. And the first few times it happened, I was really upset. That's my way of saying I love you. How come you're not saying I love you? Mm. And she started to justify herself, and I said, no, 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 you have to understand. I had to own that very quickly and realize that was something I decided to do. I didn't communicate with you. Mm-hmm. I wanted, when you come home, to come into the bedroom and see that the bed yeah. is made. Yeah, And so... I wanted to experience the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's different Yeah, for exactly the reasons you're stating. And that's mine. And I get to own that. And that is the way I get to say, I love you. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, the art of communication is an ongoing thing. If two people care about one another, right. if you care about the communication, if you care about the honesty, mm-hmm. then you'll continue to do that. Like the conversation that you had, you know, it could have been a big blowout argument. Right. Why the hell didn't you make up the bed or, or whatever? Look at what I'm doing. Well, we didn't. We didn't at the time. I didn't say anything. Right. And I just kind of dealt with my resentment. And mm-hmm. I looked at how silly my resentment yeah. was. Now, think about this. If you were 20 years old, if you were 20 years young, oh, older, right. how, how would that conversation have gone? Well, and that's, you know, that's why it makes sense that we're in an age where it's declining, but the divorce rate, we have lived mm-hmm. through the spike of the divorce rate. Yeah. And now that's dropped off. And partly it's because marriage has dropped off. But even more than the drop off of marriage, the divorce rate has dropped off. Mm-hmm. People aren't getting married as early. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I knew a couple a few years ago that, um, that had met in high school and they were still together. Like they had adult kids out of the house and they were still together. Uh-huh. And I looked at that and went, wow, you know, y'all are an anomaly, right? Because most folks do <laughs> right. not survive that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so it's, it's exciting to, to see that and to see how that... What I, one of the other things I like about the article, if you decide to read the article, stick with it. 
because it may feel like she's this cheerleader for open marriage and non-monogamous relationships. And what she really is just trying to do is that she has surveyed the subject very well and she covers it. But she eventually does get to that place of like a couple that tried it and tried it for like a year and then decided this wasn't working and they got divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people who weren't completely comfortable with it. But what I remember growing up is those stories of long-term relationships where somebody really wasn't satisfied and had known it for a long time, but they felt like they had no other option. Yeah. And what she's doing is very well categorizing the other options. Yeah. That's what the article does. Yeah, I think about my grandparents. I mean, I would hear stories after they're gone, of course, Mm. saying, well, you know, your grandmother really wasn't all that happy and your Mm. granddad did this and did that, but we didn't want to tell you kids while he was still alive because whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, you want to honor the relationship. Sure, sure. And... You know, public disclosure, I really don't believe in, I, I, I'll say this, it's, it wouldn't be for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm way too greedy to even deal with um, an, an open marriage for myself. But I, the article intrigued me because, wow, the New Yorker is putting this. I mean, if you, if you go on to the newyorker.com and just do a search mm-hmm. on the upper right-hand corner, open marriage, you'll find the article. And it was, well, my you know, wife right, said she saw it. Yeah. I think it was uh, the top story in, in the New Yorker magazine. Mm-hmm. So obviously, relationships, I mean, you know, we're at the, the day and age now where you can have something like, it would be taboo, I would think, even 10 or 20 years from now to even talk about something like that, you know, right, right up front. Oh, but, you mean 10 or 20 years ago? Ago, that's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be for me because I think I would just be too greedy. I was reading this article and I was like, oh my God, you know, are people... What when I but it it, it occurred to me that getting back into communication, mm-hmm. a lot of the folks in the article, they came to the realization realization or they came to a level of communicating with one another long into the relationship. I mean, right. it, it may have been like maybe, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years. And yeah. finally, the woman is saying, hey, I'm unhappy. Right. And, and I say to myself, well. If you were unhappy, let's say five years ago, then why didn't you say anything? I mean, not. Well, to... But there were indications that there were things that were said, mm-hmm. but they didn't communicate very well. Like right. the first couple exactly. that they That's talk about, they yeah. actually he said at one point, "What do you think about?" He had actually researched it. Yeah, and he said, "What do you think about this?" Yeah. And she right. said, "No." And then it was a few years later where she found herself, her circumstances changed, mm-hmm. and she found herself in a situation where she was. Right. Considering it. Yeah, well, she hooked up with a, a guy. She right. basically said no and then hooked up with a guy. Right. And then told her husband after the fact, which sort of blew my mind. That was that was surprising, but sometimes people can't just up front talk about a hypothetical. In fact, I know, I, I and I've definitely seen it, um, sometimes you try to have that conversation and the other person tries to be open-minded, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't go well. I mean, I can remember in the 70s because it became a big free love, became a big thing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there were these parties where people were going to a party and dropping their keys, famously dropping their car keys into a hat or a Mm -hmm. bowl. Mm -hmm. And you fished it out and that's who you went (laughs) up. The wives, the guys dropped the keys in the bowl because this was all very much that that 
misogynistic world. Sure. The guys dropped the keys in the bowl. The women fished out the keys, and whoever's key they got, that's who they went home with that night. <laughs> Whether you liked it or that, not. Uh, yeah. What was it, Bob and Ted and Carol and Alice? Something uh-huh. like that. Oh, you know what? Yeah. I've, yeah. I, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So it was very much a thing. But again, I think in the same way this article is really talking about a small... Because I... Mara read some of it. She didn't read the whole thing. I said, well, I'm reading this thing because we're going to discuss it. And, and I'm finding it intriguing um, as a subject. But as I'm reading through, I'm also finding that it does like a lot of pop culture does. It talks about a phenomenon. Right. Which means something out of the ordinary. Literally, that is the definition of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Something out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. but something that is real. Something that is verifiable. It exists. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And... I what I got out and it's so funny because I said wow we should talk about this and I I felt like she got quiet and I was like no 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 uh, no 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 I'm not no I'm not no I'm so believe me believe me I can put your fears at rest about me not trying to do that but I think the useful part of it is what my you name. pointed to the communication <laughs> right and to hear that my partner's not satisfied with something and to be comfortable because I yeah. can in a non-sexual way I can totally talk about this. Mm-hmm. My wife needs exercise. Mm -hmm. She needs to take a walk. She needs to take a bike ride. If she could do it every day, she'd be a happy camper. I need to nap. (laughs) I need a little bit of exercise. I need to nap. I am okay with getting a little more exercise Mm -hmm. than my minimum, but her minimum is way higher than me. If she suddenly had a friend that she was doing that with on a regular basis, I would be jealous that they're getting some time that I'm not getting. But I'm not so jealous that I'm going to get up off my ass. (laughs) <laughs> and right. do more exercise. Yeah. I'm gonna do a little bit more. And the good thing about you and Mar, Ma, Mara, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah Mara. Um, you guys are very good at communicating. I mean, you know, the minute I met Mara, she was just talking a mile a minute. She's a wonderful and she just talker. Says, yeah. She just says exactly what's on her and mind. She speaks her mind. Yes. Exactly, which is wonderful. Which is exa- which I think everyone should be like because that's the problem that I think with, and that's why I had sent the article to you. Mm-hmm. Because it's really about communication. If yeah. you're honest about communicating and you're honest about just saying, boom, exactly what's on your mind, even if it hurts the other person, um, that's, that's far more valuable than living a lie. And there are people, there are relationships that are lived on a lie, on this right. perception. Well, this is, this well, is what I want. We're going to walk around. There's the elephant in the room. We're going to walk around. Exactly. That. Exactly. And One of the things. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go right ahead. Well, I was, I was going to shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I did these presentations today because I'll be doing a summer intensive. So if you know teenagers, please get in touch because it's a Eugene O'Neill Foundation dot org. Mm-hmm. The Eugene O'Neill House, which is in Danville. There's a house that he built off of his early success and then his greater successes were were first drafts were done there. And um, so we went out and started talking to high schools today. I'll be running a program 10 days in July. July 13th to the 23rd. And um, so we went out to talk to high schools about it. And I was like, I find it exciting to talk about something like Eugene O'Neill. Mm-hmm. We saw four classes today. One class, no hands went up. I said, you've ever heard of Eugene O'Neill? And they were first year class, so now they didn't. Hmm. The other class's hands went up. And one class, a bunch of hands went up, almost mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, when I was in school, that was taught. Because he was considered to be one of America's premier playwrights. And he's the only one that ever won a Nobel Prize for literature. Is that right? So, pretty impressive. But 
uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night, which is one of the plays he's known for, mm-hmm. um, dances around the fact that the mother has a, a morphine addiction. Um, right. And that she's had it since her younger son, who is now an adult, mm-hmm. was born. She's had this addiction. Um, the play dances around that. We do that in life all the time. There are family secrets. There are secrets I still want answers to. Yeah. And I'm at least mature enough now to know. And part of maturity means knowing when to hold your peace. Knowing when not. Honesty may not be the best policy. Sure. You may really hurt somebody. So sometimes there are questions I have that I'm waiting for folks to die. So I mm-hmm. can ask these questions of yeah. the survivors. But in a relationship, I mean, I can understand my mother holding back something back from me. But my wife? Well, in Long Day's Journey Into Night, the husband avoids talking about this. And when it is brought up, he's basically, he's he's not in denial. It's clear he knows it's going on. Mm-hmm. He refuses to talk about it for the sake of his wife and for the stability of their family and the marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I understand all these things in a way that I didn't before I got married. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a balance. And that's what yeah. I thought the article really touched on is just being honest is an element and can bring something to an otherwise stable relationship. That stable relationship will either be able to survive that moment of honesty mm-hmm. or it's time for it to move on. to yeah. shift. Like I think about the scene that I did with um, with Rachel, uh, Rachel um, mm-hmm. my scene partner. So we're in a marriage, and I need a kidney transplant. She doesn't want me to do it because it's sacrilegious. It's got to be your phone. Ooh. <laughs> we are violating podcasting family. 101. Oh, family. I should have okay. turned. Yeah, I, I'll call him back. Okay, so it's no big deal. So in any case, we're doing the scene, and we obviously we're at a rift in our relationship. And I say to myself as an actor, why did I marry this woman? Um, Mm. Why am I marrying someone who is religiously different than I am? Because clearly I'm not Seventh-day Adventist. The character is not even Seventh-day Adventist. Right. Um, Clearly, she's estranged from my son. My son is calling me, not calling her. Sure. And I'm defending my wife to my son. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say to myself, why? And... It's it's pretty clear. I mean, and I think it's clear in a lot of relationships. There are certain aspects that you love about a particular person. Right. And in the name of love, mm-hmm. you bypass certain things. Right. You bypass certain eccentricities that may drive you absolutely crazy. Yeah. Until either one of two things happen. Either it gets to the point where you can't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. Or it gets to the point where it's not even relevant. You don't even care anymore. Right. And, you know, and that's a wonderful thing. And so, you know, when I think about the article, I say if people are honest with either themselves Mm -hmm. or the other partner, you either tell yourself, listen, there may be things that I need in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. I I either have to be honest enough to tell my partner, listen, I need this. And if I can't have it, then we need to do something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I'll say, listen. She's not giving it up, or I'm mm-hmm. I'm not getting what I need from her. Right. All, all the way around, she may not be getting what I need from me because there are things right. that I may not want to do. Right. But let's say if it's if it's something that I want and I know I can't have it, then I'll just say, "Listen, is it worth the price of this marriage to right. have it?" Right. And that that becomes what I love about that is even before I got married, that became a question. You know, how important is this to me? 
And it was, you know, what's at stake? Well, mm -hmm. this relationship is at stake. Mm -hmm. So if it's important to me, <coughs> excuse me. Mm -hmm. If it's important to me, I need to know that. And maybe I never had to face it until now. So I'm going to learn something out of this. It mm -hmm. might come at a cost, but I'm going to learn something. If it's not that important or it's negotiable, well, again, now I know this is something that I need to deal with and I need to put it in a new place. And it was exciting to go, wow, I feel comfortable enough with myself now that I can make those sorts of choices. I'm not in fear. Like an early one for us was in a simple one was karaoke. Mm. I like karaoke. I love karaoke. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun with karaoke. Mm -hmm. I find karaoke to be a silly, wonderful way. It's a form of expression. It's it's not quite music. It's really kind of an other. Yeah. It's it's almost more of a game than mm -hmm. anything else. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who like to play it, the way I like to play it, I enjoy being around. I enjoy that time. Mm -hmm. My wife can't stand it. You know, I may as well have been saying, let's go, let's go pick dinner out of the trash. Yeah. From her perspective. <laughs> yeah. And initially that was like, a, ooh, am I going to have to give this up? Or am I going to have to give her up? And fortunately, I was able to come to a, well, wait a minute. I understand she doesn't want to do this at all. I'm really clear on that. Is she okay with me doing it? making space in our relationship for me to go do the thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I realized being a theater artist that that was what I'm asking anybody to do for me anyway. Theater, don't ask me to choose between you and theater. Yeah. But at least put it put it right on the table immediately. Right. And I think that's one casualty of a lot of relationships where it's not put on the table immediately. Mm -hmm. I mean, if someone, if I'm in a relationship and let's say five or six or seven or even 10 years down the line, someone's like, well, I kind of like doing this. Right. Or this is what I'm not getting from right. you. I, you know, I've I always right hate say, it when you do shows. I, I hate that you're gone and I hate <clears throat> that you run around running your lines and I hate exactly. all I'm that like, stuff. I'm like, why didn't, why didn't you tell me that <laughs> when we first, you right. know, because you know this is what I do. So what's, what's the big deal? And there are those people who hope that somehow you're going to outgrow it. Yeah. And there are those people who hope they're going to get used to it. Yeah. I tell you, with Mara, what I did was <laughs> she said, I need to practice. Um do you want to, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm tired. I need to take a nap. She said, well, do you want to go upstairs? You can close the door. And I said, mm, let me lay down right here on the couch and see if I can take a nap while you practice. And if I can get the rest I need while you play your horn right here, then I think this is going to work out. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, I need to know that now. If that's going to have to be a thing where I'm always going to have to make get out of the house or go close a door. Mm -hmm. And the only time I do now is if I'm, if I need to make a phone call or I want to listen to something else and I can't hear it with the trombone in the background. Yeah. But if I'm just going to take a nap, I can be anywhere in the house and take a nap. Mm -hmm. And I'm and not the trombone only, doesn't, doesn't bother you. Not only, it, it doesn't bother me. is not the right word. Am I aware of it? Yeah. Yes. I'm aware of it. Um, does it bother me to be aware of it? There's times when I want peace and quiet. I'm, I'm normal. Mm -hmm. um, but what I find is I'm also hearing her. And if I'm dead tired, it's probably because I've been running around. Mm -hmm. So now here I am home. And I'm home with you. And I want to be with you. But I'm tired. And you don't want to come lay down. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go lay down. You're going to play your horn. 
I am going to hear how you're doing and what's going on with you. And I can hear the days when she's feeling rusty or she's not feeling it. Mm-hmm. I can hear the days when it is sounding like incredible music. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and there are whatever those days are. I can go to sleep at any of that. I just checked in with you basically through your music mm-hmm. and I can go to sleep. Or I checked in with you and wow, you're doing really well and I'm enjoying hearing you. Or I've heard the days where she starts off rough and it, sometimes quickly, sometimes after a little time, it starts to become that beautiful music. Mm-hmm. And that just makes me feel good that I know that I can then say to her, whoa. So it sounded like you really warmed up. You did well. It sound, you know, mm-hmm. I can feed that back. So that's a connection. And so I needed to know, can I live with that trombone? Mm-hmm. And I can. In the yeah. same way I'm asking her, can you live with my theater? Because I'm not going to ask you or apologize. Right. When I need to run lines, I'm going to run lines. Mm-hmm. If I go out and do it outside or I do it, go and do it downstairs, mm-hmm. I'm running lines. I'm working on something. I need to work. Yeah. I'm not asking your permission. Yep. She's not asking mine. And you put it on the table immediately so there are no surprises. Yeah, yeah. it is. And there are plenty of things that I'm sure that there's left for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, knowing that there's a possibility and, and that we've already created some mechanism to have that communication, it's been great. Fantastic. Yeah, so I look forward to the conversation with her about the article because I really do think... The communication piece mm-hmm. is the most important part of that. That woman in the article she covers the spectrum. I really feel like she does a good job of that. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I e, <laughs> That, to me, is the uncomfortable part of the conversation. That part I'm not that excited about. I'm excited about the mm-hmm. when we find ourselves pulling in different directions, mm-hmm. how do we want to deal with it? Yeah, and hopefully that never happens, but... It's good to have that. I think that. it happens in all kinds of ways. The important mm-hmm. thing is to have the communication. Exactly. And the communication is, is the real thing. And, that's, and, and, and an honest communication. Yeah. And I think that ties the two articles. And also what we're talking about, even in the theater, you know, if I'm having a connection with, uh, with Rachel, and um, let's say there are things that I'm not getting from her, mm-hmm. that can still work for the scene. Right. Right. You know, if if we are totally, totally connected, well, we're supposed to because we've been married for 20 years. If we're not connecting, well, there's a discontent because she knows I could be I could be dying very soon. Right. Or also the religious thing. Right. She wants me to be more focused on God and I'm not. Right. So it all works. You take what each partner, what you're getting from your partner and you use it. And, and, you know, what you're doing. And Hannah, uh, the kids were getting ready. We did a run-through right before our performance. And uh, what if I need to cough? <laughs> and I People said, cough. I said, then your character needs to cough. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was funny to me because that is a lesson that we have to learn as actors. You can't keep yourself from coughing. Right. You can only do so much. And if you spend all your time on stage trying not to cough... <laughs> Then that's what the scene suddenly becomes about. So you better know that that yeah. means that that's what your character is about in that moment. Yeah. And let it be. Mm-hmm. Put you it have, into the performance. Yeah, you haven't broken the scene by, by doing that. I mean, they coughed in the 16th century, you know, what have you. Anything else? Should we get to chop, shout outs? Yeah, let's just. I feel like we're getting to that time. Yeah, oh. we're getting. Yeah, some mm-hmm. shout outs. So um, there are a couple of folks who have birthdays um, uh, tomorrow. Gina Bellaria has a birthday. Gina Bellaria was a, um, I remember her, she directed Lady Susan. Lady Susan was uh, a piece written by 
a good friend of mine, Christine Urin, who is in a wonderful uh, marriage with um, Jean Mossy. They're both writers and directors and actors, and uh, she she does period pieces. She does wonderful period pieces, and uh, I think she um, I think it was played at the um, what is it called? It's it's the uh, it's in Berkeley um, Central Works. Oh, I think uh, they <clears throat> used the space to do Lady Susan. Uh, so Gina Valeria, she has a birthday tomorrow, and also a good friend of mine, uh, Gary Henderson, who uh, we both uh, graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, nice. and I believe he's a Navy man now. He mm-hmm. um, and he and I were in Bublin Brown Sugar, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wonderful um, musical on um, I think written by Duke Ellington about the Harlem Renaissance. Sunday, um, Nick Bain. He has a birthday. I remember Nick, uh, he, I stage managed him. Uh, he did the Chetless Chainsaw Musical oh. where he was uh, Eddie, uh, the <laughs> the chainsaw kid. And um, so he, he was fantastic in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's acting anymore. i got to ask Nick. I'll just shoot him up on Facebook mm-hmm. to find out what, what he's doing these days. Yeah, we can get him in on, yeah. on the, uh, where are they now. <laughs> exactly. And then Wednesday, both you and I, we have a friend named Colin Hussey. Right. Colin. Colin. Uh, no, and it's funny. So Eugene, I can connect Colin up to Eugene O'Neill. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know about the house. Or, no, that's not true. I did know about the house because I had done a reading, a staged reading of The Emperor Jones. Mm-hmm. And I did it with Stephen Anthony Jones, who is now the artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Mm-hmm. He played the, the title character. Yeah. Um, there's a white guy who's kind of a... He's actually... If you don't know the play, it's a one-act by Eugene O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um and a overseer, white overseer type of guy, a business guy, yeah. um, is encouraging Emperor Jones, this guy, to take over Haiti. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's um, what they used to call a banana republic, trying to prop somebody up so that they could keep doing the business they wanted to be doing. And so they get this guy, Jones, to do it. Um, and it was originally um, done with uh, James, not James Earl Jones. Um, um, I, know, I know you're talking about um, Paul, Paul Robeson. Yes. Yep, Paul Robeson. Um, so Stephen Anthony Jones got to do it. He played the central character. The white guy was Rod Knapp. And I played everybody else, including a little old lady. I had to put <laughs> okay. a shawl over my head, a little dress on and a shawl over my how head many, to cover my face. How many characters did you have? I don't remember. Four or five, maybe. Okay. Um And so I got to do it there, and it was exciting, because this is the house that Eugene O'Neill built off of his success as a playwright, Mm -hmm. and then wrote some of his more successful, you know, even more successful plays. Mm -hmm. Um, The house is a gorgeous house, and it's called the Dow House, because he was really interested in Japanese cultural stuff, and so it's got a layout, and there's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is now part of the National Park Service. So Colin was aware of this and said, why don't you take Oakland Public Theater why don't we talk to him about doing a reading? I want to do a reading of Great God Brown. Hmm. And it's Eugene O'Neill as a 20th century playwright trying to try something more experimental. So it's a mask play, and the characters all are in masks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brown is an architect, and he's becoming a very successful architect. And that mm-hmm. is the way he is shaping the world and controlling things. And by the end of it, his mask is supposed to evolve into this hideous face where Mm. he has become this gnarled control freak um and that was the play um it's very stylistic and very bizarre and i'm sure it doesn't get done very often but it was fun to do just a staging of it with a cast and um tammy berlin our costumer 
who works with Central Works, works yeah. with a lot of other I, companies. I know Tammy Berlin, yeah. Is now working with um, Playground as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I brought her into Playground because I love working with Tammy. She knows a lot about directing. She's got an amazing mind for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know what to do with the play. I don't want to do masks, especially for a reading. Actors have scripts in their hand. It's going to be hard. She said, what about glasses? And she created a whole set of glasses, including one that had been spray-painted gold and had little stars wow. on it. Wow. Uh, to show the different characters who they uh-huh. were and where they were in the, in the nice. world of the play. And that ended up being brilliant. Knocked the glass out of them and just showed that. Mm-hmm. So um, Colin, it was Colin's idea, Colin's impetus, vision mm-hmm. to help us bring that about. And, and I've known him since then. He does a lot of sound stuff now and does um, graphics. Um, he did the card for uh, the Richard Wright uh, That's right. Centennial. That's right, and did the um, the photos and all that stuff. I think he. Uh, the last time I talked to him, I remember the last time I talked to him, I was doing uh, Pride Open. There was a, a musical that I I wrote the music for. Um, oh. It was the, one of the last East Ender uh, productions, and it was a while back. But he was he was working on a musical. Um, he he does a lot of things. I think he does photography um, mm-hmm. mainly now, mm-hmm. uh, professional photography. So if any young actors, or really any actors at all, who wants to uh, get their photo sh- photo uh, photos done, right? Uh, Colin Hussey is fantastic for that, and you can find him on Facebook. Yay! Yay! So happy birthday! Happy birthday! Fifty four years old. Oh man! Old man. <laughs> <laughs> now Elizabeth's birthday was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I think I got to say that she's doing this. Uh, this not the seat. Yes. The seagull, yes. I, mm-hmm. I, I've been talking about this a lot, so I end up mixing up the seagull. Elizabeth, what's her last name? Elizabeth Carter. Okay. And um, she's in the seagull. It's on Shattuck and 48th at the Omni Commons, mm-hmm. which if you're an older person in the Bay Area, you may have known as the Omni. It was a it was a punk music club. It was a music club at one point. Um, and it's now become a performance space. And so that's going for the next two or three weekends mm. and she's playing uh, Tregorn I want to th- say the characters I haven't looked it up um, but yeah that's going on um, I've got Playground coming up Playground is actually starting their Best of Festival this weekend um, in San Francisco at the Potrero Stage it used to be called the Thick House and now they've rebranded it as mm-hmm. the Potrero Stage they're managing the space and after doing a season of short plays every third Monday at Berkeley Rep or third Monday of the month at Berkeley Rep, they um, they do, they've been doing these short plays. This is now the Best of Festival. Some of the plays have been developed into full length plays, and so there's going to be staged readings of that. And I'm directing a piece that'll be done on the 21st and the 28th. So that's coming up. We'll say more about it as as we get closer to those dates. Nice. And I'll plug again uh, the Musical Cafe, uh, and that will be um, on the 20th of may which is a week from saturday well this this uh podcast will be on saturday so it'll be a week from uh when you're listening to it uh so it'll, it'll start on saturday at uh 3 p.m and then monday at 7 30 p.m and then tuesday there are only three days that we're doing it oh. uh may 23rd at uh, 7 30 because it's part of this bigger mu- exactly cafe festival exactly so musical cafe so auditioning for no adulting for beginners is one of them and then backslide and then uh the chain which is what i'm in and then pygmalion uh these are all uh new musicals and uh the music director is uh Sh- sheila it's hard to read this ramesh mm. ramesh so um 
So that's what's going on with and me. And then uh, Bindlestiff, you had said you exactly. To get that I'll, shout out. I'll replug uh, Bindlestiff. Uh, basically, the Tri Productions—they're doing a uh, production of an intimate ache, an intimate ache, and that'll be June the twentieth through the twenty-fifth. It's only one week. Um, on the twenty-second, they'll be doing a double-double. That'll be an eight and eleven o'clock uh, show at Bindlestiff Studios, and that'll be one eight five Sixth Street in San Francisco. It's a fantastic black box theater, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, the Bindlestiff community is is just uh, wonderful, and it is a wonderful community. Yeah, of and folks. Uh, yeah. Crystal Piamonte John is in it, and she's a good friend of mine, and so that's it. So that's what I've got. Okay, and then wanted to add in. Um, we're going to add in uh, teasers. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to mention, uh, well, Memorial Day is coming up. So um, I wanted, I always, not always, in recent years, I have started celebrating Memorial Day. I am a veteran. And I wanted to acknowledge that I am a veteran and that I do understand something of the soldier's experience because of that. But I also want to tie it in with my theater experiences because when I went in the Army, I actually thought that I was putting, what is that quote? Is it Roger Kipling, the thing about putting away the things of, you know, when I was a child, I played with childish things. But Mm -hmm. when I was an adult, I put them away. Yeah, I think it's also a Bible verse, too. Oh, and so I wanted to put, I thought I was putting that away. I very quickly got sucked back into it. So I look forward to talking about that because it actually... It taught me a lot about life and the world and made my experience in the military much more palatable. Mm -hmm. So that's something I want to give a teaser out to. I think we'll talk about that soon. And then we didn't really get to spend much time talking about fake news versus (laughs) self-promotion. But I I think there's a wonderful way to tie those together um, in this era. And it's funny because I want to... I want to stop using the term fake news and call it what it really is. It's propaganda. Yep. Somebody is putting out, intentionally putting out falsehoods, intentionally putting out things that they do not know are true. Right. They, you know, so if they're accidentally doing that, but they're still emphatically putting it out, that is propaganda. Mm -hmm. If they are intentionally telling lies, well, that's just lies. But, um, but self-promotion is a necessary part of the theater experience. And we live in an age where it is necessary to do that. And I had issues with this when I was um, starting out as a producer. Because as an actor, I never told people about my show that was coming up. Because until I knew that it was all together, I was not going to brag about a show until I knew it was going to be good. And the funny thing is often... A show may not come together until that last moment. You may not know that it has come together until you're in front of an audience. And by then it's too late. And it's because, too late to promote because it. Because people are doing, it's like, oh, shoot, if you told me a couple of weeks ago, I could Well, I and as a time. producer, you yeah. missed all the deadlines for getting the word out sure. on it. And so, that, so there's a way where self-promotion and what I had to do to make peace with myself about that was to realize my intention mm-hmm. is to make a fabulous show. I can tell people that my intention is to have a fabulous show. And what do I mean by that? Now you get into all the details of what the show is. Mm -hmm. And if it ends up not quite hitting that mark, you do your best to get there. So you're kind of gambling. You're making a gamble with yourself that you're going to be able to achieve that. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do all the work of committing to making that show, you may as well take the gamble that it's going to get close to or exceed mm-hmm. your expectations. So there is a we'll bit spend of more time. Sure, about yeah, that. and and there is a bit of ego uh, about sort of pimping or promoting yourself, especially when other people are doing shows too. Right, um, and so I can understand the resistance of doing that, but 
it helps to promote, you know, you're promoting yourself, you're promoting your show, you're promoting, you know, theater in itself. So uh, it, it's always good to uh, to promote. And also fake news. Yeah, I have a lot to talk about that. Um, there's just, um, it's, I'll, we'll, we'll save it. That's It's a teaser and we'll talk about that. And uh, I we think. We hope you are teased. <laughs> <laughs> so I think our next production will probably be, I would think we'll do a, a recording maybe on Monday and we'll probably post it up on Tuesday, but just keep a lookout. And as always, we're on Facebook, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes. Uh, hit us up, give us some comments, let us know what you like, don't like. And if you want us to promote your stuff, then uh, let us know. And I've also had a couple of friends asking me about podcasting, period. Yeah, I pimped, I, I uh, promoting uh, George Coker, and I uh, talked to George Coker over the uh, internet this past week and he was interested. I was like, Hey, how do you do this podcasting mm-hmm. thing? <laughs> and I had another friend who was like, how do you do this podcasting? So if people are interested in about podcasting, I'll talk about that later on as to how you do it. It's very simple. It's relatively cheap. I think uh, the hardest thing is actually just the talent, just just doing it. Well, and, and then promoting it, getting it out there. Exactly. It's a work in progress. Exactly. And with that, uh, we're going to close it up. And uh, I'm Reg Clay. I'm Norman G. We've got to find a sign-off. Yeah, we do have to find a sign-off. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs>